you're a guest, we're delighted that you're here. We're winding up a series of sermons today simply entitled Risen, The Unexpected Moments Surrounding the Resurrection. And this morning, we want to take a look at courageous moments. Solomon Matter and his family were caretakers of the garden tomb just outside of Jerusalem. Now, it is believed that this is the tomb that belonged to Joseph of Arimathea, where Jesus was placed following his death on the cross on that Friday afternoon. It's a place of peace and refuge for Christians who travel from all over the world to the Holy Land when they come to visit there. But during the ni- in 1967, during the Six-Day War between Israel and Egypt, it became a different kind of refuge in the midst of fear. As the battle raged for six days, Solomon's father, mother, and a few other extended family members took shelter inside this tomb. When the war was over, those who had placed their hope in the empty tomb of Christ in a time of war emerged alive. Who would have believed it? They found life in a cemetery. In the closing hours of his life, Jesus tried to prepare his followers for the battle that lay ahead. They would experience fear and sorrow, to be sure, but what they could not imagine was the joy they would experience and find in an empty garden tomb on Sunday. However, it would take a lot of courage to get from Friday afternoon to Sunday morning. And I'm telling you, it still takes a lot of courage to get from the Friday afternoons of our lives in this broken world to the joy of the Sunday morning of his resurrection and hope. Now, we're familiar with Peter's denial before the cross. We're familiar with John's heartbreak when he stood beneath the cross with Jesus' mother. We're familiar with Thomas's doubt when he heard the news that Jesus was risen but hadn't yet seen him. But what about the two men who were the first to the tomb? I don't mean on Sunday morning, I mean on Friday afternoon. We talk a lot about the apostles, but what about Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus, the last two men to view the body of Christ before the stone was rolled over the mouth of the tomb? In the most fearful moments of history, they stepped out in courage. These highly respected men, members of the Jewish ruling council who had actually offered a, an illegal trial and a, a wrong conviction and put Jesus forward for crucifixion. These two men, Joseph and Nicodemus, objected to what the Sanhedrin was doing. As a matter of fact, what Nicodemus and Joseph did for Jesus on that Friday afternoon set the stage for the celebration that was going to come on Sunday morning. I, I'm convinced, folks, unless they do what they do on that Friday afternoon we would not be able to have as strong of a faith in the resurrection as we do today. Now, I'm getting ahead of of the story here a little bit. So let's back up. We need a proper introduction uh, to these two men who were trying to find the courage of their convictions. Martin Luther King Jr. said, I believe that unarmed truth and unconditional love will have the final word in reality. This is why right temporarily defeated, is stronger than evil triumphant. Boy, folks, that really describes the death and resurrection of Christ. Evil triumphed on Friday. The truth triumphed on Sunday. And I can't help but wonder 
if the conversation that Nicodemus had early in the ministry of Jesus didn't come flooding back at the time of his crucifixion on that Friday. The Gospel of John is the only gospel to tell us anything about Nicodemus and to record this conversation which takes place in chapter 3. And though the Bible doesn't say why Nicodemus came at night, that's the time he came. And most suspect that Nicodemus came at night so he wouldn't be seen by anybody else because he was afraid. At that point in time, he wasn't sure if he wanted to be identified as a follower of Jesus Christ. His faith was growing, but it wasn't growing as fast as his fear. Now, have you ever read this conversation in John chapter 3 in light of the crucifixion? Have you ever thought about it in that context? Because it happened so early in the gospel and the, and, and the crucifixion and the, and the resurrection aren't till the very end of the gospel. So we don't connect the two. But I think... I think Jesus was trying to prepare Nicodemus for what was going to happen three years, two years, whatever, down the road at the end of his earthly ministry. I think Jesus may have realized that Nicodemus was the guy that would help bury him, and he wanted him to have the courage of his convictions when that moment came. These highly respected men, members of the Jewish ruling council, were, were men that he needed to count on. And so this conversation begins... Nicodemus is told by Jesus, first in this chapter, that he must be born again. It, it, it's a new beginning. Uh, it, it is a new start. This, this fresh new way, this new hope that is coming. Jesus is bas basically saying, don't be afraid, Nicodemus. I'm going to give you a new start, a new hope when my kingdom comes. And then Jesus actually talks about his crucifixion. Now, he does so in a way that's, that's unique, and Nicodemus wouldn't realize it at the moment, but all the pieces would come back when the reality sets in. Uh, Jesus goes to an Old Testament story in the book of Numbers, chapter 21. Now, this is when the Israelites are leaving Egypt. They're already in the wilderness. They've been wandering for some time, waiting to get to the point where they enter into the promised land. And if you remember the story of the Israelites, I mean, they are constantly complaining and grumbling that God isn't doing enough, that Moses is a lousy leader, all this kind of stuff. And so they're in one of their grim, grumbling, complaining uh, moments of their journey. And, and God says, you're going to act that way. I've got to discipline you. You're my children. I've got to discipline you. And, and God sent venomous snakes among the midst. And those who had been the worst complainers, those who had spoken against God and Moses, began to die as the snakes bit them. Now, I'm telling you, I'd have been dead on the spot before the snakes ever got to me. This just happens to be one of those, you know, wow, oh my goodness, kind of stories in the Old Testament. Well, it didn't take long for the, for the Israelites to realize that they had really overstepped their bounds. They cry out to God. They're, they're sorry for what they did. They are repentant. And God instructs Moses to do one of the strangest things in Scripture. God says, Moses, I want you to fashion, I want you to craft a bronze snake and put it on a pole and lift it up and then tell the people, if you'll look on the bronze snake, you will be healed. You won't die. Now, what's the last thing you want to do when there are snakes at your feet? Take your eyes off of the snakes and look up. You don't want to look up. You want to make sure you're not getting around the snakes. And there is no rhyme or reason to a bronze snake. Why in the world? It was all a step of faith. Didn't make sense. It was a step of faith to say, look up. If you will trust me, look up. It was a step of trust. Sometimes things in this world don't always add up. 
And God is saying, trust me through the tough times. And this is what he shares with, with Nicodemus as recorded in John 3, 14 and 15. Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the desert, so the Son of Man must be lifted up that everyone who believes in him may have eternal life. He's pointing to his crucifixion down the road. Take courage, Nicodemus, he's saying. I've got this covered. I've got your back. And if that wasn't enough, the pinnacle of the whole conversation comes to, to its zenith in verses 16 and 17. These are the most famous verses in Scripture. If it had not been for Nicodemus, we wouldn't have this pearl, this gem. Jesus said, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world but to save the world through him. One single verse of scripture sums up what happens at the cross and at the empty tomb better than anything else. God gave his son to save the world. Now, I don't think Nicodemus had a clue at this point in time what was going to happen, but I think when the cross did happen, all of this comes flooding back and the pieces add up and the picture becomes clear and he knows what Jesus was telling him. It was like Jesus was saying, you're here at night, Nicodemus, but you don't need to be afraid. The Father has a plan that'll knock your sandals off. You just watch. I've got your back. We're still trying to find the courage in the Father's plan today. John 8, 32, Jesus said, then you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. We cling to that same promise that if I put my faith in him, life will make more sense with him than it makes without him. And that faith, that truth will set you free. We may not always like the truth, folks. It may not always be comfortable. It may not always be popular, but the truth always liberates. Nicodemus found the courage of his convictions. Have you? Are you courageous enough to stand up for the truth of Jesus Christ, even if you have to stand alone? It's not easy, but it always sets you free. Holly Ordway thought Christianity was a blemish on modern civilization. Those are her words. She was an ardent and highly educated atheist who didn't really know much about Christianity and thought the Bible was a book of myths and folktales. But as she progressed through her life, she realized that her non-belief could not answer questions like how we really got here and, and even more importantly than that was what purpose do I have if I have any purpose and how do we have this concept of morality? Where does morality come from? Through a series of conversations with a respected mentor, she opened her mind. She started to read the message of Christ in not only the Bible, but other Christian writings. And she came to believe that the story of Jesus Christ was indeed historical reality. And she discovered that in Christ, there were the real answers for the real questions of her life. Looking back over her journey to the truth, Holly made this observation. She said, really, it doesn't matter whether we like Christianity or not. What matters is is it true? Holly found that it is. I believe that it is. To you, that truth will set you free. And what about Joseph of Arimathea this morning? We basically know him as the man who loaned Jesus his brand new tomb that had never been used. And we just kind of gloss over that. But don't. 
I find it highly significant this morning that Jesus was born from a virgin womb and laid or buried in a virgin tomb. Two unique, like bookends on the life of Christ, two unique moments that set him apart from everybody else. So yes, Joseph's new tomb was a great gift, but it wasn't his best gift. You see, Joseph too struggled with his fears. His courage was not what he wanted it to be. But the, but the death of Jesus changed all of that. Now, in the interest of time this morning, I don't want to take time to read all four of the gospel accounts. So I've put them together in a harmony of these, taking all the points that we would find. And uh, this story you could find in Matthew 27, Mark 15, Luke 23, and John 19. So let me just read the whole thing in a harmony of the gospels. Now, there was a man named Joseph, a member of the council, a good and upright man who had not consented to their decision and action. He came from the Judean town of Arimathea and was waiting for the kingdom of God. Now, Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly because he feared the Jews. It was preparation day, that is, the day before the Sabbath. So as evening approached, Joseph, a prominent member of the council, went boldly to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph bought some linen cloth, and with Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds Taking Jesus' body, the two, men, two of them wrapped it with spices and strips of linen. This was in accordance with the Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden was a new tomb in which no one had ever been laid. Joseph took the body, wrapped in a clean linen cloth, and placed it in his own new tomb that he had cut from the rock. He rolled a big stone in front of the entrance to the tomb, and he went away. The women, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, who had come with Jesus from Galilee, followed Joseph and saw the tomb and how the body was laid in it. Now, the Gospels make it clear, folks, that while Joseph believed, he did so secretly. Like Nicodemus, his faith was growing, but his fear was greater at that moment. But I want you to be harsh with Joseph. Don't be too, too down on him. A lot of us today are guarded in our faith because we don't want the ridicule that may come from friends or family or coworkers. I don't know about you. I'm not real fond of being made fun of for what I believe. And we tend to shy away from the things that make us less in the eyes of society. I, I don't care how old you get. Peer pressure is a powerful force. And we have it good here in America. I mean, if all we have to worry about is a little bit of real ridicule, we've got it really good. Around the rest of the world, it's not ridicule that people fear. It's torture and martyrdom. It happens a lot. In the year 1800, 2,500 Christians lost their lives around the globe to martyrdom. Today, that statistic is 100,000. Over 100,000 people, just because they are Christians, will die this year around the world just because they believe. Every five minutes, somebody who believes in Jesus Christ will die every five minutes this year just because they're a follower of his. 
You see, it takes courage to stand up for what you believe. But something happened. Something happened to Joseph when Jesus died. Oh, folks, crucifixion was so brutal. It so mangled the body between the beating and the crucifixion. It was awful. There's There's a legend that says that when Mary, the mother of Jesus, crested the hill and stood on the top of Calvary, and she looked up at the three crosses and the three men on the crosses, she whispered to the women who had come with her, which one is my son? Because of the brutality, she couldn't recognize her son. It was an awful thing. And I don't know what it was that, that, that like flipped a switch in Joseph's heart. Um, perhaps it was the Lord's words from the cross or, or the manner in which he died. Or maybe it was the earthquake and the torn curtain in the temple. But suddenly his fear gave way to his faith. I suspect in reflection, Joseph felt guilty. He'd had three years to come alongside Jesus and say, I, I'm, I got it. I'm following you. But he never did. And and when Jesus died such a horrendous death, I think it filled him with guilt. And he said, all right, I may not have been with him when he was living, but boy, I am going to be with him in his death. I really do believe I'm going to make sure that his end is the best it can be. And what a difference it makes. What we don't realize when we read this story is what would happen to a normal criminal that was crucified. Do you realize that Rome prohibited families from taking the body and burying them? Do you realize that criminals were left on the crosses after they had died and and the decay process had begun to set in? It was to be a lesson to everybody who passed by and saw crucifixions to say, don't mess with Rome. This could happen to you. Eventually, the body was pried off of the cross. They were dumped into wagons, and they were carted off to the Valley of Gehenna, this garbage dump that was just outside of Jerusalem. Now, this is a picture too powerful to miss. Had it not been for Joseph asking for the body, and had it not been for Pilate breaking protocol, Jesus would have been dumped with the rest of the criminals in this valley of Gehenna in a garbage dump in a mass grave. Gehenna, by the way, this garbage dump where the fires burned continually where for the vermin ran uncontested was the very word that is most often translated hell in the New Testament. This was the picture, this was the image that Jesus used to represent that which is so awful. Jesus died for our sins. God was not, allowing, not going to allow him to be buried in such an awful place. Now, now, just remember this. Nobody was expecting a resurrection. Not the disciples, not the women that came with Jesus from Galilee, not the Romans, and certainly not Joseph and Nicodemus but they would honor him in his death. And so they take him and they put him in the tomb. Now, have you just stop and think about this for a minute. What if they hadn't done that? What if Jesus had been buried in the mass grave? On Sunday, he'd come walking up from the valley of Gehenna. And whereas Joseph and Nicodemus had washed the body to prepare it for burial. He would have come without anything washed. He would have still had the matted blood and the hair and all the mess. And whereas they put 75 pounds of spices and ointments on his body to prepare him for death, there would have been no sweet ointments or spices on his body. He would have come up from the valley with the stench of death, with the stench of garbage, with the putrid smoke permeating his skin and clothes, and then try to convince people that he was alive. What would the conclusion have been? People would probably have thought, oh, 
Maybe he didn't die on the cross after all. Maybe it was that putrid smoke that simply revived him in that awful pit. What Joseph did by giving Jesus a proper burial was, well, it just makes our celebration on Sunday that much more powerful. When Princess Diana was buried in 1997, 2.5 billion people around the world were glued to their televisions. And she was buried in royal fashion. Funeral in Westminster Abbey, burial in a royal cemetery, Elton John saying candle in the wind at the service, and the cost 19 years ago, the cost was $14 million. There were no huge crowds that gathered around the garden tomb. There was no media present to record it. But I'm telling you, Jesus was buried like a king. New linen, new tomb, expensive ointments and spices. The myrrh alone would have been fitting for a king, and he was wrapped and placed there. And the two Marys watched as Joseph and Nicodemus prepared the body. They watched from the outside to make sure that it was done. And they were on their way back on Sunday morning. Remember the day of the resurrection? They were the first to hear. They were on their way back, and they had spices in their baskets. You know what I think? I think these two women said, those guys couldn't have done the job right. We're going to have to go back in and fix that. And when they got to the tomb with all their fears intact, they left the tomb with great joy because it was empty. So here's the question that you and I have to answer this morning. Will you live your life in the light of courage or live your life in the shadow of your fears? What are you afraid of today? Are you afraid to fly? You have a .00001% chance of dying in an airplane crash. On the other hand, the car insurance industry tells us that the average American will experience three to four major accidents in their lifetime, and the odds of you dying in a car crash are one to two percent. Are you afraid of heights? It's the second most reported fear. Your chance of being injured by falling, jumping, or being pushed from a high place are one in just over 65,000. On the other hand, your chance of being injured while mowing your yard is one in 3,600. Do you fear being killed by a bolt of lightning? <laughs> the odds of you being killed by a bolt of lightning is one in 2.3 million. Do you realize you're more likely to be struck by a meteorite than lightning? <laughs> one in 700,000. And how about sharks? Are you afraid of, of being killed by a shark? I got news for you. You're more likely to be killed by your spouse than you are by a shark. <laughs> One in 135,000 chance of you being killed by your spouse. Shark, 300 million. I'm telling you. Watch your back at home, not in the water. There, there are things we, we fear that we really oughtn't. But there are some legitimate fears in our lives. Belgium's loss this week only serves to remind us again of the fear of terrorism. Early this past week, 15-month-old Shailen Anderson went missing before the week was over. Her body was found lifeless near the banks of the White River. Oh, the fear experienced by that family, followed only by the heartbreak of their loss. There isn't a week that goes by here that I don't hear from somebody in this congregation about somebody here or somebody in our extended family uh, that, that they're battling a terminal disease. There are a lot of legitimate fears 
But if you live in fear your whole life, you will accomplish nothing. The great joy of the resurrection truth is that it liberates us from our fears. Do I fear the future and what it holds for our culture? Yes, but my trust in the risen Lord and his church is greater than my confidence in any earthly system or government. Do I fear what the future holds for my grandchildren? Yes, but I believe that God is faithful and will provide for them whatever they need to make it through life. Do I fear my own death somewhere down the road? Sure, who doesn't uh, uh, fear dying? But my fear of physical death is eclipsed by my anticipation of eternal life. There is nothing, nothing that can ease our fears like the power of his resurrection. And the weight of this world can be so overwhelming. Ask astronaut Scott Kelly, who returned to Earth on March the 1st after 340 days in space. In that non-gravity atmosphere, he grew two inches. He's been back long enough that the weight of the world has taken him back to his normal size. Are you weighed down? This world is a heavy world. Are you weighed down by the guilt, the loss, the disappointments, the regrets, and every other challenge common to life in a heavy world? That's why we celebrate. Today is so important. Nothing can give you the courage to face tomorrow like the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Is your identity found in him this morning? Because I certainly hope it is. Do you realize that your identity can be stolen? That you have a chance of one in 200 of your identity being stolen. Uncle Sam informed us recently that someone had tried to file a bogus tax return using my name and my social security number. I gotta tell you, that's a little unnerving. But my identity is not in a number issued to me by my government. My identity is not to be found in my fears or my regrets or my disappointments. My identity is found in the risen Lord. My identity is shaped by the hope of an empty tomb. No matter what happens in this world, I know he's got my back too. We are and we always will be victorious because of him. And don't you know that's the truth that changed Nicodemus and Joseph? By the way, there's a legend that Joseph became a preacher after the resurrection. And that the apostle Philip sent him to what would later become Great Britain to be the first to carry the message of the gospel there. I don't know if it's true. It, it may just be a legend. But what if it was true? Where do you think Christianity immigrated to the new world from? It came mostly through Great Britain. Our faith, our faith may be the benefactor of the courage of Joseph of Arimathea. Be strong. Be courageous, folks. You too can make an eternal difference if your faith is greater than your fears. Fear lets you down. Faith lifts you up. Fear destroys, faith builds. Fear runs, faith stands its ground. Fear makes for an empty life. Faith is found in an empty tomb. Author Phil, Phil Calloway was driving through his hometown with his five-year-old boy in the back seat of the car in a car seat. And they drove past the local cemetery. <laughs> uh, and there next to the road was a brand new grave that had been dug and the mound of dirt beside the grave as we always see it. His boy had never seen anything like that and while Phil didn't pay much attention to it, he heard this excited voice from the back seat of the car. Look dad, one got out. <laughs> Truer 
Words were never spoken. One got out. And because he did, we have the opportunity for life everlasting. When life's battles rage around you, you too can seek refuge in an empty tomb just outside of Jerusalem. When you do, your faith will emerge alive and victorious. Who knew you could find new life in a cemetery? Let your faith be greater than your fears. Courageously today, make him Lord and Savior.